On today's Keto Culture podcast, we have the pleasure of welcoming back for the second podcast in a row guests Rachel Connerly and Tim Kelly. We are going to go deep into the collaborative operating system. And this episode, we're going to look into uh, win win situations and the structure, a little more into detail about the structure of a meeting and how the collaborative operating system deals with that. So, with no further ado, let's get to the podcast and enjoy. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast, a show that explores the sometimes unseen forces that animate, connect, and unleash thriving companies and teams. You're listening to the Key to Culture podcast, exploring vital energy and life force at work with Tom Kelly. Where can people, where can listeners find out about this and if they want to study it or become aces at it, how, what, what's, the, what's the mechanism for that? Yeah, so they could go to the website, which is thecos.org. That's T-H-E-C-O-S for Collaborative Operating System, .org. And they could read the white paper under resources. Uh, that, that's one thing they could do. And then they could sign up for the training. We've got a 12-week training where we teach the entire system in bite-sized chunks uh, that it's very interactive. It allows people to go out and practice the concepts and the tools in between the, the training. And in that, we're trying to impart a real shift in people's worldview uh, so that they can move into this collaborative paradigm with ease so that they can see <clears throat> this, number one, is a full-blown replacement for hierarchy, uh, but that they can also imagine the world or at least their project or their meeting without hierarchy, uh, with a degree of comfort. One thing I could offer by way of a little bit of further contrast, Tom, would be um, some more of the fundamentals. So. After we teach people the principles of ownership and alignment, then we begin to teach them the fundamentals. And explicit and implicit is the fundamental we, we covered on the last conversation with you. Uh, but there's two others. And the first one uh, has to do with win-win versus win-lose. So helping people understand that this notion that the pie is fixed isn't the entire story. So uh, helping people begin to learn to work together in a way that is seeking win-win outcomes is part of the collaborative operating system. And this is probably a good place to let Tim explain a little bit about the Nash equilibrium. Yeah. So <laughs> this, be, being a math geek, Rachel right. likes to punt, punt this one in my direction. So right. Uh, in the movie, A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe and the whole yep. thing about John Nash, who is, uh, you know, had certainly had mental issues and a brilliant man. There's this one scene where he's in a bar trying to figure out about picking up this blonde woman that results in his realization of what then later became a game theory proof called the Nash Equilibrium. And, and the way just stated in regular human language, I, I tried reading the, the uh, paper from the, the Nobel Committee, and it was beyond me, <laughs> several orders of magnitude, even with an MIT math degree. But the, the way to think of it in, in, in regular human terms is that what he proved was that in any multiplayer competitive game, there's at least one equilibrium point, minimum of one. 
And what defines the equilibrium point is if you and I are playing the game, Tom, if either one of us changes how we're playing, our payoff from the game goes down. Okay. So that then creates a natural built-in incentive to keep doing what we're doing. Make sense? Yep. If I keep doing what I'm doing, then I'm doing okay at the game. But if I change what I'm doing, I start losing. <laughs> yep. So that's a, that's a mathematical definition of a win-win scenario. What I found very interesting since grasping that, one thing is that the, after watching that movie, it gave me more insight into what the collaborative operating system is. Right? We mm -hmm. talked about it. It is a replacement for hierarchy. Well, there are other replacements for hierarchy as well. What's unique about this system is that it's a systematic way of finding win-win solutions in complex multiplayer scenarios. Right. You think about it, it's not obvious. Even if we can all, even if we all are like, watched the movie, A Beautiful Mind, or even read the Nobel paper, and we all know in this situation, we're all sitting around the table, right? Maybe it's divorce, maybe it's our companies merging with another company, or we're fighting over what's going to happen with a particular product line or something like that. Even if we know for a fact that there must be a win-win solution somewhere within this mess, because John Nash proved it, that doesn't mean that we can identify what that win-win solution is. And people are not trained to look at things through that lens or think about it, that we're actually trained to think in win-lose, right? We think of business as a competitive activity, that we're fighting over the proceeds of whatever, right? We're fighting yes. over customers, scarce we're fighting resources. over property. Yeah. Scarce, right? The definition of economics is the allocation of scarce resources, right? So it's all a scarcity-based competition. And because of that, we don't stop to think most of the time that, oh, no matter what the scenario is here, somewhere there's a win-win. And the big advantage of a win-win solution, Tom, is if we come to a win-win solution, I don't have to watch you and you don't have to watch me. And you're not going to be out there, right? If, if you and I come to a win-win solution that screws Rachel, she's going to be out there doing her best to undermine us and, and upset the apple cart, right? Because she got left out of that. But if everyone who cares comes to a win-win solution together, there's nobody left to object, nobody left to sabotage, and then it works. Yeah, yeah. I, when you, I just had a light bulb go off where in the big picture of history, a World War II victory over Japan and Germany ended up with a lot of elements of win-win. You know, they were, their, their economies were passing us within 30, 40 years. Whereas you look at an Iraq and it's like, that's a win-lose. And it's mm -hmm. just going to continue to haunt us as a lose. Well, well, actually think back to World War I, where afterwards the prevailing dynamic was the French's insistence that the Germans had to pay for their sins, right? Absolutely a win-win solution to the aftermath of World War I that created World War II. Win-lose, yes. Win-lose, yeah. exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. Beyond those other two fundamentals, which are win-win, win-lose, and then prior to that, we talked about explicit and implicit, there's, there's another fundamental, Tom, called process and content. And most people know that their content needs to be explicit. Uh, the strategic plan needs to be written down. We need to be able to read it. But they are uh, often forget to make the process part explicit. And even when they attempt to make the process explicit, it is usually not collaborative or is not as collaborative as it could be or uh, as they want it to be. And so helping people design 
win-win uh, processes that are explicit and collaborative is another big part of the learning that we uh, impart in the collaborative operating system training. Because it's really, you know, just tying it back to this whole podcast, which is about culture, it, it, these implicit cultures become treacherous. You know, they, they aren't necessarily people trying to make them treacherous, but they become that way when the rules aren't known and people are making power plays and, you know, their job they think depends on their being more successful than this person or holding more information than this person or prevailing in some way over their colleagues. Sure. So give an example of a process, maybe the most basic of things like a, like a meeting. Meeting is a great example of an implicit process. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if, if you look at a meeting agenda, what it has is it has a list of topics and then a list of names next to the topics in regular business meeting, right? Mm. So you're going to handle the, the quarterly results and I'm going to handle the, you know, upcoming performance reviews, right? So, so in, e in each case, it, it says, well, here, here's, what, here, here's what we're going to talk about and here's who's going to handle it. And on a good day, maybe it'll say what it is we want to happen as a result of that. Right. Okay. What it almost never says is during that time period, the time slots there, here's when it's going to start, here's when it's going to end, right? But if you had to predict what's going to occur during that time slot, what, what's the actual behavior that will happen that will result in this outcome, that's not written down. Right. It's left to the individual whose name is on that slot to figure that out. And they may or may not figure that out in advance. And the process they come up with to produce that result may or may not succeed. So the line item, Joe, is right after quarterly earnings. Joe's going to talk about the company picnic with no time next to it. And it goes for 20 minutes. And then the meeting's double as long. Yeah. Or, or we do talk about the company picnic for 20 minutes. And now we're done talking about it. <laughs> but we don't have the result that we were looking for. <laughs> and we don't know the result we're looking for. We don't, know, we don't know why we were talking about the company picnic, and therefore we don't know whether we succeeded or not. We, the company picnic was talked about. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of the reasons why people are so frustrated with meetings, that they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, and they don't understand how they're doing it. They do know what they're doing, right? We're talking about the company picnic, but they don't know why and they don't know how. So, okay, so definitely explicit is part of the system for, for the, a meeting. What, what other spokes of the COS touch a meeting? Yeah, so what I've been covering are the three fundamentals, and those tend to be like a pair of rose-colored glasses that people put on, and now the world looks different, especially from a diagnostic standpoint. I can look out and I can see what's missing, that if it were present would allow for collaboration. So after people get their rose-colored glasses, their primary diagnostic tool, if you will, then we teach them what's known as the five elements. And the five elements are your primary toolkit. There's plenty of templates, the, the five elements really enable people to practice collaboration in every work situation that they would find themselves, whether it's a meeting or a project, a hiring, a firing, an onboarding, <clears throat> whatever it is. They, they understand how to do, do it collaboratively because of the five elements, which cover all aspects of work. What are the five aspects? Implicit, explicit is, is not a 
five is not an element it's a principle. fundamental it's a fundamental and uh, you know again those rose-colored glasses that change how we see the world paradigmatically um, so the five elements are number one identify the problem because Tom we've discovered that people cannot uh, align around a solution or a goal or an intent unless they first align around the problem so it's a means to an end uh, but a very important one the second element is uh, involve all stakeholders. So who do I involve and how do I involve them in every project? Uh, the third element is design and facilitate collaborative meetings. And Tim was just giving some good color uh, around that one. You know, meetings are the most fundamental aspect of the way work gets done. And so if we can transform our meetings and make our meetings collaborative, it has a sweeping impact in the workplace and very rapidly too. Uh, Tim and I both remember one of the first organizations we trained up in Boston and the people just flat out refused to go to meetings that were not designed collaboratively after they had um, experienced this, this process. Uh, the fourth element is form a collaborative team. And there's two aspects to this. Number one, chartering so this is where the group aligns around the work they're going to do together so i'm doing uh, a team formation process right now with five leaders of an organization so after they do the charter i'll take them through the agreements and this is where they make those seven agreements one is decision making uh, but there are six others that are very important. We've discovered if a team is going to be high functioning in their work together, if they're not going to need the leader to make every uh, decision and run interference at every hiccup and, and issue that, that comes along the way. Um, and, you know, you probably have heard this phrase, but, you know, the high performing team the high trust, high performing team is the first order of business for any collaborative leader. It's, you know, the first thing that actually any leader, collaborative or not, should be doing. Mm -hmm. And finally, element five is create a collaborative plan. And this is where everything kind of comes together, all the elements, everything you've learned, uh, so that you can improve dramatically on that age-old planning process of you know, step one, identify the current state. Step two, identify the future state that you desire. And step three, how do we get from here to there? So this is a, a dramatic improvement uh, on that process. And those are the five elements. And that's the system. And we teach it in kind of a spiraling up uh, way. You know, we're constantly going over and over the same things, but in a higher and higher more challenging and more complex way. You know, I often say, Tom, that it takes a system to change a system. I think that's true. And the collaborative operating system is really up to the level of complexity that we find in our work world today. You know, 24-7, global, multiple stakeholders, dispersed, competing interests, you know, all of those things that create not just technical complexity, but social complexity, which is really the, the greatest challenge of all. So the, the charter, I really arrived on that. Is that the, the beginning? Can you have a charter 
with an existing team that's been working together for a long time? Or is it is it a new phenomenon? Well, charters exist and have existed for a long time. So, you know, like you think about a constitution or articles of incorporation or something like that, those would be examples of charters. Right. And so in this case, what we're saying is if a, if a team is being formed or an existing team is being converted to the collaborative operating system, gotcha. then we want to create a charter for that team. That makes explicit certain things that probably weren't, certainly weren't explicit if it didn't exist, and probably weren't explicit if it existed as a hierarchical team, like why does this team exist, right? right. That would be a, a very simple question that if you asked most teams and most team leaders, they would struggle to answer. <laughs> right. And if these are the people on this team, why were they chosen? and not somebody else would be another very simple question that people might or might not have an easy time answering. Again, trying to make everything explicit and transparent so that everyone understands where they fit into the scheme of things and they feel enough clarity that they're fine stepping on the gas and going. Yes, that helps. I, I think I keep arriving at this because I'm so new to be exposed to the COS that I'm like, well, how does it, you know, how does it get implemented? Like I almost want to take my one week of knowledge and go in and flip a company or something, but mm -hmm. yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> but, so, so with an existing team, you have to, is that the spiraling you're talking about, Rachel? Like you have, the team has to actually do their functions on a continuum. You know, they can't, there, there's never a, okay, month off to convert. Like we don't, we're not going to expect any productivity out of you for a month and we're going to convert you. I mean, obviously it, it seems like easier to implement this with a blank slate, but do you run into any challenges or obviously, but do you, what type of challenges do you run into when you're, when you're moving an existing hierarchical team to this? Yeah. Well, I'll just say, you know, and then I'll let Tim uh, take a shot at this too. I, we, we encourage our clients to run parallel tracks so to start the collaborative operating system, they don't just flip overnight, flip a switch and <laughs> start using gotcha. this and stop using this. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a getting up and running aspect to this. And you know, also just tagging off what your guests a few weeks ago indicated that you know, it's the leader that has the greatest impact on the culture. And so, you know, it really does depend upon the capacities of the leader and then also the capacities of the organization. And the COS does require a great deal of maturity when used in its full-blown glory. Unfortunately, there's a spectrum that you can kind of use it on. You can use it as tools that make the hierarchy a lot more functional and explicit or you can go all the way to full-blown collaboration. Yeah, so let me say that, that you, it has been done that you lock the doors and do the full implementation and let people out at the end. They're a little rattled when they come out, as you can imagine, right? So that's, that's not the choice that most teams make, that they prefer to do it that way, but you could. Um, and so usually the way we do it, the, the, the kind of the incremental path that Rachel's describing is by starting to find some place where there's a pain point. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, the team doesn't deal with conflict well, for example, we say, oh, well, look, look on our list of recommended agreements, here's a conflict agreement, would you like one of those? And they're like, yes, please, we'll, we'll, we'll have one of those, right? Mm -hmm. And so now the team spends a few hours or a day or something like that working out 
and creating and crafting together a unanimous conflict agreement. Mm. After which time, when they start using it, now these, it's not that necessarily conflict goes away, right? There's as long as you're alive and working with people, so there's going to be conflict. But the team suddenly finds it way less painful to deal with the conflict that naturally comes up. And that now increases their appetite for wanting another agreement, right? Well, the appetizer was great. Look, what, what you got for a main course, right? Yeah, yeah, and now we sense. can look at some of these other things and say, okay, well, what's, what's your next, what's your second biggest pain point? And what would be an agreement we could create to do that? And, and in that way, over time, each time they implement an agreement, the team becomes more efficient, more effective, and more motivated and has higher ownership because they created the agreement together. And in that way, the, the system builds over time as you implement it. Hence the spiral. Yeah. Things keep repeating themselves. So the, the conflict agreement is also a system. A little mini system. Yeah, yeah, there's a mini system of how to implement an agreement in the collaborative operating system. Because as Rachel said before, right, there's, we're not only collaborating on the agreement itself. We also have to collaborate on how we create the agreement. And this is the place that really melts people's brains, but it's where the true genius of the system shines, right? Because if there are other collaborative systems in the world and you say, oh, how does that collaborative system work? They'll say, oh, it works like this. It's an eight step process. First you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and now you're collaborating. Well, okay, that's fine, but clearly we're not collaborating about how we're collaborating because you just told me what the eight steps were and I don't get any say. It's those eight steps or the highway. Right. right? This is a very high bar, right? What, what we're talking about now, which is to say, okay, not only we're we gonna collaborate, but we're gonna collaborate about how we're gonna collaborate. In that way, that's how you get the maximum ownership of people because they'll say, oh, well, we decided to do the conflict agreement first. We decided to do the accountability agreement second. And we decided, the, the, the facilitator made some recommendations, we decided how to make those agreements, and we decided on the agreements that resulted from that process. So we collaborate on the process, we then we use the process to collaborate on the content, and now we have an result, a, a result. And the ownership is higher than if I, as the facilitator or the consultant, told them, we're going to create this agreement together, and I'm going to tell you exactly how we're going to create that agreement's all yours but the process is all mine it sounds like a high bar but one that's worth going to this show seems to be kind of about high bars last with with keith Marin, he talked about radical self-responsibility it's like it's not just cleaning it up you don't need to clean it up with the other person it's just you you know it's like whoa that's that's advanced mm-hmm. so so what do you think the future do you see the future of business moving towards this naturally, or is it is there going to be well like a backlash, like we've seen kind of in in politics with things seem to be getting more collaborative and you know Marin County-ish in the world, and all of a sudden it's we sprung back. What, how do you see this globally affecting company culture in the future? Well, I I will say it's getting easier, like just training people and instilling the paradigm shift is getting incredibly easy relative to what it was. I mean, it used to be if we talked about hierarchy uh, in less than glowing terms, people would become irate and that never happens anymore. I just had 
a leader of a huge organization. She's replacing a command and control leader, and she wants to run her organization as a collaborative endeavor. And um, while it's fairly easy to pe find people down in the organization who are interested in the COS, it's a lot more difficult at the very top. So I think that's just a harbinger. I think we're going to see more of that. Tim? Yeah, so for myself personally, I would say that in the same way that I said that hierarchy cannot be the answer 100% of the time, I don't believe it's the case that the COS can be the answer 100% of the time, right? Sure. Um, so in the future, if I were a leader and I were creating an organization or something, I might ask myself, huh, okay, and get together with maybe some of the key shareholders or something like that and say, well, let's, let's think about in designing this organization, a question that's never asked, which is what's the right system for this organization, given what we're trying to do, right? For the military, I think hierarchy works great, actually, right? It has a particular feature that's not needed in business, which is you can shoot somebody and the system will readjust within seconds. <laughs> that's difficult to do with something like the COS and completely unnecessary. Right? We don't need a business. It's okay in business to have a meeting to decide what to do about it if right. the he suddenly dies. Right? That's fine. In the field, when people are shooting, it's actually not fine. And so I think the military will continue to use hierarchy for most things for some time, although they are absolutely experimenting with collaborative stuff. Mm. But in business, where we have highly trained, highly skilled people who are expected to act on their own initiative and be creative and solve problems and have relationship skills and emotional intelligence and all this, actually cramming them into a hierarchy is in many cases harmful to what it is we're about to ask them to do. In, in my vision of the future, there's kind of several different systems that people would look at and say, oh, well, because of what we're doing, this system is the best fit or that system is the best fit. Right? And that we would then adopt it. And in many cases, I think the CMS is a great choice. I think in many cases that would be the right answer, especially in systems where we are expected to interact with large groups of diverse stakeholders who are not naturally aligned about stuff. Right now, our culture is terrible at right. dealing with those situations. Which is happening more and more. The field is becoming something that's going to marry with collaboration, it seems like. Plus, the language, you know, it's like, with meditation and yoga and all these systems that are happening, it's like the, I think Rachel was alluding to it, the the language is even moving towards, you, That's you, right. you can start further along in the, in the, in the teaching. That's yeah. right. If you, if you use too much hierarchical language, people will push back on you in, yep. in, in yep. some uh, corners today. Right. Other thing I want to point to is there's meta systems, right? There's, we're talking about organizational culture. Those are our, our individual, these little blocks of, of people working together inside a legal structure, organizations. Mm -hmm. But then there's the, the marketplace or the, the, the field in which those play. And that actually is moving towards more collaboration as well. And that's a unique feature of the COS that I don't see in other systems, certainly not hierarchy, not holacracy, not a lot of the other ones that I've heard of, that they don't have the necessary tools to be able to operate inter-organizationally on a large scale to create a meta-culture of collaboration and a meta-system of collaboration to hold these different. So you could have 10 hierarchical companies 
none of which has more power than the other, using the COS to collaborate together to create a common outcome. Yeah, I just want to underscore what Tim is saying. Um, you know, he's talking about a rational and criteria-based decision-making process for what system we're going to use uh, based on the work ahead of us. And I do see that as the future. I think Tim's just absolutely right on uh, with that. You know, could I tie this all back to something from our first conversation, Tom? Love to. And I would just love you guys' thoughts on this, but because something I've been thinking about. But, you know, Tim talked about how if a middle manager starts to implement a COS initiative and gets people trained, all is going well. But if a real command and control leader comes in, uh, the whole thing can be obliterated. And while that's true uh, on one level, there's another more powerful uh, and important truth to me. And that is that I think COS tends to work like a rhizome. And of course, a rhizome, like the aspen trees, is this thing that spreads out uh, underground and everything's connected. And I have seen that happen where, you know, the, the hierarchical leader stamped it out, but they couldn't get rid of <laughs> the spirit, the collaborative spirit in the people. And, um, you know, they were very quiet about it and they did it behind closed doors, but they absolutely just kept right on collaborating with one another. They were taking their explicit underground to be implicit just to survive but it was it was thriving that's right that's right just like the knights templar and the the right. cathars you know we tried to obliterate them but by golly we couldn't do it nope it's spirit <laughs> so why don't we i think we're just about at time this has been fantastic how how does the collaborative operative system conclude a meeting let's model yeah, closing reflections. So uh, with great intention, and um, we all kind of state our experience of our time together and how we're leaving, in this case, our call together. Are you aligned with that, Tom? Because we would, <laughs> wouldn't want to do it over your objections. I completely aligned with it. It's okay, good. His um, idea. Just checking. <laughs> well, I'll just say I'm feeling really grateful. Um, primarily for the opportunity for this thought partnership. Uh, I love the chance to kind of put things out and, and hear, you know, other people riff on them and gather input and mix it and meld it with my own thinking. And so I'm just really grateful for this uh, rich conversation and your convening us, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I'll jump in. Uh, I'll say that I'm, I'm, really grateful that you're doing this, Tom, that you're putting out all the world to, uh, and a goal of mine in this kind of uh, environment is to really make people think. Like I want them to question some of their assumptions and try out a different colored lens and say, wait a minute, what, what happens if I look at the world through this one instead of this one? What, 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 what is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? And I, I hope that that's happened for people that they've started to think in sort of stakeholder colored terms, right? And collaboration colored terms, um, which by itself can be very powerful. Like a, a question, Tom, that, you know, we could have asked was what can people do with this? I would suggest a great way to practice the collaborative operating system is watch the news and ask yourself which stakeholder was left out or who wasn't consulted or who got overridden that made the story that made this actually make it to the news. 
Yeah. I found that to be really good training. After I took my first training with Rachel, I would go watch the news and go, oh, 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 I know, I know, I know. I can see what they did. Right, right. <laughs> so kudos to you and, and keep at it, Tom. Thank you. Is there anything you want to add as far as um, upcoming trainings or blogs, posts, or anything that you would like to share? Yeah. Well, I would just say read the white paper. Um, and if that resonates with you, it's very short and it's a very colorful white paper. And if it resonates with you, get in touch with us um, or just reach out. And uh, I'm Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at the C-O-S dot O-R-G. And uh, Tim or I would be glad to play with people uh, in their work endeavors and help them see the collaborative uh, approach that uh, they could be using. Fantastic. Thank you very much again. All right. Thank you, Tom. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Key to Culture podcast, sponsored by Quantius, the premier marketing agency for emerging technology. Quantius, smart, fast, curious.